I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Richard McCroskey aka Psycho Sam and today's case is also known as the Farmville murders which I just want to clarify right now has nothing to do with the game Farmville which is exactly what I thought when I first came across this case. I was like what the hell does the game Farmville have to do with this murder but the answer to that is nothing. So this case actually surrounds an online teenage relationship gone horribly wrong and the tragic events involved here take place in Farmville, Virginia, hence the name Farmville Murders. And this case also takes place around 2008 and 2009 when MySpace was still a thing. Do any of you remember MySpace? And two teenagers, Richard and Emma, met on MySpace and they bonded over their shared passion of a pretty extreme genre of music known as horrorcore. And well, after that, as often happens in these cases, things go horribly wrong. There are a lot of twists and turns and there are some absolutely awful events. So let's just dive in. So Richard Alden Samuel McCroskey III, it's a bit of a long name isn't it, was born on the 26th of December 1988 making him a Capricorn. He was born in Hayward, California, and I hadn't realized this until just now, but we're doing a hell of a lot of California cases, aren't we? And Richard lived with his parents and his sister, Sarah. Now, as a child, Richard is described as quite shy, quite timid, but also well-mannered and kind. He was just the kind of child that just kept himself, like, didn't cause anybody any issues, and music was a huge part of Richard's life. His dad played guitar in a rock band, and he's his dad had a huge influence on his musical taste. His dad introduced him to bands such as Metallica and Primus. Richard was also seen as kind of an outcast in school as well and he just always struggled, at least he felt like he did anyway, he always struggled to fit in. And Richard unfortunately was very miserable in school. He absolutely hated it and very sadly he actually was bullied. Um, he was teased a lot about his weight and also his hair colour. And I just hate hearing things like this. Like kids really can be the worst sometimes. And tragically, because of the bullying, this resulted in Richard dropping out of school. But he didn't just drop out of one school. He dropped out of two schools. Like he was bullied at both schools. That is how bad the bullying was. Richard just always struggled to make friends and he just spent most of his time on his own. However, Richard did have some forms of escape. He obviously had music, but he also had MySpace. Oh, MySpace. Do you remember those days? I do. But MySpace came around before Facebook, before Twitter, before Instagram. It was like, I don't know if it was the first, because I, I honestly don't know, but it kind of was the first, if not one of the first social media platforms. And at one time, MySpace was the biggest social media, which is just crazy when you think about it, isn't it? Because it just dropped off the face of the earth. So this is back in 2008. So MySpace was still pretty big, which is weird because it was 2008 that I made my MySpace and I actually didn't make my MySpace. Uh, funny story, Ashley who's my boyfriend, he was my boyfriend then, he still is now, uh, he made me get MySpace and he made a MySpace for me because I was just dragging my feet and I didn't want one. Um, so this is in 2008 and Richard was on MySpace a lot. I mean, 
pretty much borderline addiction to MySpace. And I do think MySpace and social media in general, just a whole, can be really helpful for a lot of people. It can help you find communities that you can't find in your real life. It can help you connect with people that have a similar interest to you that you don't have in your real life. I mean, hello, we have an interest in true crime. And this is exactly what Richard did. He turned to MySpace because he had found a community that he bonded with over a shared interest. And Richard being on MySpace, it was the first time that he felt like he truly belonged anywhere. And Richard had found a community that shared his same interest in the same genre of music. So we know that Richard's dad had introduced him to heavy rock music, and that is a lot of what Richard was listening to. But as Richard was entering his teenage years, he was discovering new music, and there was this new genre that he became obsessed with, and that is horrorcore. So what is horrorcore? Because I feel like I've got to explain it because I had never ever heard of this before this case. And when I first heard the word horrorcore, I thought it was going to be like a subgenre of heavy metal music, but it turns out that it's actually a genre of rap music. And that threw me, I was like, what? I thought it was going to be like death metal, like that kind of thing. But horrorcore is not your typical rap kind of music. It's known for its extremely dark, quite violent, graphic, extreme lyrics. And of course, horror themed lyrics as well. A lot of the lyrics are surrounding things like death and murder mutilation, I think cannibalism as well, uh, torture, um, just a whole lot of dark things basically. That is what horrorcore is. So it is a pretty extreme genre of music, but it's a sliding scale, of course. Of course, you get some light horrorcore and then you get the extreme horrorcore. And what I actually found interesting is when I was like searching for horrorcore artists, Eminem came up. Like, what? I didn't know this. Did you know that Eminem is technically classed as a horrorcore artist, at least his earlier work was. I was like, what? But I don't think Richard was listening to Eminem. Like Eminem would definitely be on the, the light side of the scale, if you know what I mean. Richard was not listening to things like that. He was definitely on the extreme end. Back again, stronger than ever, and much deadlier. Dominating my victims, leaving corpses dismembered. So this was Richard's new obsession. It was the new world that he was entering in and he threw himself into it. And music as well as MySpace, like I've said, was a huge outlet for Richard. It was something that he was really passionate about and he even started to make horrorcore music himself. And because he was making music himself, he wanted a stage name. So he came up with the name Psycho Sam. And when I heard this, my mind immediately went to Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. And it turns out that Richard was inspired by Son of Sam to get the name Psycho Sam. It's like, why? Why, people? It just never goes well when someone is obsessed with a serial killer, does it? No. So Richard started to record music and upload it onto MySpace. And Richard's music can still be found on YouTube today, which I found weird. Of course, I had to go and listen to it. Evil voices, they're in my head. They want to see me kill. They want 
Oh my god, so creepy, especially knowing what I know and what happens in this case. Oh god, it just ugh, creeps me out. And his lyrics are pretty extreme. He's definitely on that extreme end. So some of the lyrics say, the voices in my head are telling me to murder continuously. He also has lyrics saying that he wants to go on a mass murder spree. It's... Mm, Oh, no. Mm -mm. He also sings about uh, the need to get rid of the rotting corpses. Now I gotta get rid of the bodies before the corpses start to get to rotting. I'm just like, oh no. And I just want to point out that music is just a form of expression. Just because someone is singing about murder doesn't mean that they're actually going to murder anybody. It doesn't even mean that they want to. I mean, look at all the like the horror films that are out there and the people that write the scripts and everything for those and the directors and stuff. They don't go on to do any of the things in the films, do they? So it's just a form of expression but horrorcore has been involved in its fair share of controversies. There are some people that do feel like it does encourage crime. I didn't read too much into this, but the genre has also been blamed for its influence on the Columbine and the Red Lake school shootings. Now, you guys know that I am never one to blame music, TV, films, video games, or anything like that as a reason for someone doing what they do. I feel like everybody has their free will. Things like that are art. They're a form of expression. Like it doesn't like make you want to murder someone basically. But obviously it always comes down to each individual case. It's never going to be the same. But if you take someone like Richard, where I think it's probably very clear that he was having a lot of dark thoughts. He was having a lot of thoughts about committing murder. I feel like some songs that almost romanticize and glorify murder probably don't help people like Richard, if you understand what I mean. But of course, lots of people can listen to all sorts of music, watch all sorts of TV and film and not commit murder. So I'm not blaming the music. I'm just saying that in Richard's case, it probably didn't help. So it's the summer of 2008. Richard is currently 19 years old. He is living with his parents and he was working part-time as a web designer where he would design websites for people that were in the horrorcore industry that he met online. And it was at this point where he meets a girl online who is 15-year-old Emma Niederbrock. Emma lived in Farmville, Virginia hence the name of this case, where she lived with her dad, David Niederbrock, who was a pastor, and her mom, Deborah Kelly, who was a professor in sociology and criminal justice. Now, Emma, from the people closest to her, has been described as such a kind, sweethearted girl. And she had been pulled out of school when she was in middle school by her parents and she was homeschooled from that moment on. And she also grew up in an extremely religious household. And Emma rebelled against this. Emma was way more interested in gothic fashion and the occult. Emma also had another huge passion and you guessed it, 
It was horrorcore. And Emma was heavily involved in the horrorcore community on MySpace and she went by the name Ragdoll. And this is how in September of 2008, Emma met someone called Psycho Sam who we all know is Richard. So they both began chatting online. They did have quite a lot in common. Obviously they first started talking about music and we know that Richard dropped out of school. Emma was pulled out of school. So I'm sure they probably bonded over this as well. Emma, just like Richard, felt quite isolated. She felt like she didn't belong in certain situations and she wanted to rebel against her upbringing. Also something else that they bonded over is pretty much as soon as they met online, both of their parents split up and Emma's dad ended up moving out and Richard's mom ended up moving out. So this happened pretty much at the same time for both of them. And the fact that it kind of happened at the same time as well, I'm sure they probably bonded over this as well. So they chatted regularly online on MySpace, of course, but they did also speak on the phone, but they had never met in person. Now it's said that Richard really did fall for Emma. And apparently Richard thought of Emma as his girlfriend. They had never defined their relationship, but Richard assumed, or at least he thought of Emma as his girlfriend. Unfortunately, we don't really know what Emma felt about their relationship at this point. We don't know if she also thought of him as a boyfriend or maybe she didn't. Um, we don't know. So it's now September 2009. Remember, they have been speaking for a year at this point. Richard is now 20 years old and Emma is 16. And it was around this time that they finally decided to meet in person. There was a festival coming up called Strictly for the Wicked that was arranged by Serial Killing Records. And both Emma and Richard really wanted to go to this. And they decided that they were gonna go and they were finally gonna meet in person. This is what they did. They made arrangements to go to this festival together. Emma also wanted to bring her friend, 18 year old Melanie Wells. Now Melanie lived in West Virginia and she had also met Emma through MySpace and through the horrorcore community. And Melanie was described as such a sweet, kind hearted person. And she was also homeschooled just like Emma. And the two of them had grown very close. They classed each other as best friends, even though they did live in different states. So the three of them made plans to go to the festival together. However, because they lived in different parts of the country, they needed a plan to all get together. So the plan was that Richard and Melanie were going to fly to Emma's house and then Emma's parents were going to drive all three of them to the festival which was a 10 hour drive. So Emma told her mom, Deborah, this plan and her mom was like, hang on a minute, you want a 20 year old boy that I've never met before, that you've never met before to come here and stay here. I mean, her mom was a professor in sociology and criminal justice, so I can imagine uh, alarm bells were ringing at this point. But eventually Emma managed to convince her parents that this was a good idea and that was gonna be the plan. Richard and Melanie, they didn't have a problem with Melanie. Uh, Richard was gonna come to Emma's house, 
stay there and they were all going to go to the festival together. So the plans were in place and on the 6th of September 2009, Richard made his way from California to Emma's house. And as Richard was making this journey, Emma was posting on MySpace and Emma posted on Richard's MySpace saying, the next time you check your MySpace, you'll be at my house. I love you so, so much, baby, forever and always. So Richard finally arrives at Emma's house and the time is finally here for him to meet the girl that he classes as his girlfriend. He has been waiting for this moment for the longest time but things didn't exactly go to plan for Richard and it's said that when Emma laid eyes on Richard for the first time let's just say he didn't exactly live up to his photos um Richard was a little bit of a catfish okay he looked nothing like his photos online. It is said that Richard put a lot of effort into changing his appearance for his photos. Angles were definitely Richard's best friend, like trying to make him look slimmer, make him look taller, just changing like the way his face looked, you know? And Emma was surprised at how different he looked. But it wasn't just his appearance that was different. Richard's whole personality was different. On MySpace, Richard acted like this tough guy. He lived up to his name, Psycho Sam, but in person, he was nothing like that. Remember, I did say that he has been described as shy and timid. Well, that is what he was like in real life. He wasn't this tough guy persona that he was putting out on MySpace, but it was the tough guy persona that Emma had fell for. So Emma had fell for somebody that didn't exist. His personality was completely different and he looked completely different. And Emma just was not expecting this at all. She was expecting to meet Psycho Sam and she didn't and she found it quite off-putting. And when I was reading all of this, I was like, oh my God, can you imagine how awkward this is. They both had all of these expectations of what the other one was going to be like and it was nothing like that. And then Melanie arrives at the house and both her and Richard stay over at Emma's house before they make the 10-hour drive the next day to the festival. And um, can you imagine being in that car the next day for 10 hours after this incredibly awkward encounter. Oh my God, I wouldn't go to that festival. Uh, nothing could get me in that car. Actually, scratch that. If Beyonce was playing at that festival, I'd be in that car. So they arrive at the festival and I think Richard is at this point thinking, okay, we're at the festival now, we're at the Horrorcore Festival and this at the end of the day is what we bonded over, like hopefully things will go better from this moment on, we'll have fun and Emma will see a side of Richard that she fell for. What actually happened was the complete opposite. Emma barely paid Richard any attention. And not only that, Emma was flirting with other guys at the festival as well. And Richard saw all of this and, oh god, 
He was not happy at all. Richard also saw Emma texting other boys on her phone. I don't know how he saw this, but he did. And Richard just felt completely rejected by Emma. He even felt insulted by Emma's behavior. So normally, I would feel sorry for Richard at this point. Like, ugh, it's a bit of a difficult situation, isn't it? Because Emma can't help that she is not attracted to Richard. But I would feel sorry for Richard because he had all these high hopes. And oh God, I hate to see people crushed. I just, I just don't like to see it. But then I remember what he goes on and does, which, um, yeah. And then I also remember that at this point, Richard is 20 years old and Emma is only 16. Emma is a child. So then I'm like, um, okay, no, I don't feel sorry for Richard. Even regardless of like what he's going to do, like even if he didn't do that, the fact that Emma is a child and he's 20, I don't feel sorry for him. So the festival, I think anyway, was just a one day event on Saturday, the 12th of September. Then on the Sunday, all three of them, Emma, Richard and Melanie, were going to travel back to Virginia with Emma's parents. They arrive at Emma's house and then at 2.40, Melanie posted on MySpace, SFTW was fucking amazing. Back in Virginia now, be back in West Virginia on Wednesday. I miss everyone. So the next day is Monday and I think the plans were just for Richard and Melanie to hang out at Emma's house. I think they were staying there for a couple more days. Like I said, Melanie was supposed to go back Wednesday. I think Richard was supposed to stay a little bit longer. So all three of them, are hanging out on this Monday and this unfortunately is when the terrible events of today's case take place and it's not exactly known what happens on this day because the only source we have is Richard but from things that he has said and just like putting two and two together it can be assumed that Emma was still being cold towards Richard, like she still didn't want anything to do with him. And this was rubbing Richard up the wrong way. He was becoming very resentful. He was becoming very revengeful. He was becoming increasingly angry. As the day passed, Richard, as his anger was increasing, he started to drink some alcohol. He started to smoke marijuana. I think he did take some other drugs as well, but I can't confirm that, but I think he did. And this little concoction mixed with the fact that he was very, very angry, mixed with the fact that he's clearly somebody that has very dark thoughts. All of this combined is not a good combination and Richard snapped. So around 3 a.m. on the 15th of September 2009, Richard was still awake at this point. There was three other people in the house at this point. So we have Emma, who is asleep. She is in her room. We have Melanie, the friend. She is also asleep. She is in the living room. And then we have Emma's mom, who is also asleep in her bedroom. And this is when Richard picked up a sledge axe that he found in the house. And one by one, he went from room to room, killing all three of the people inside. He started with Melanie before he went to Emma's bedroom and then he finished with Emma's mom, Deborah. All three of them were asleep when Richard attacked and not one of them woke up during the attack and all three of them died from blunt force trauma to the head. So the next day, which is a Tuesday, Melanie's parents, Kathleen and Thomas, are trying to get a hold of their daughter, 
because they know that she's supposed to be traveling home the next day. They know that she's at Emma's and they just want to make sure that she's okay and like what her travel plans are and everything like that. Like, you know, normal parent stuff. And they call Melanie repeatedly, but of course she doesn't pick up. And because they were phoning her repeatedly, they couldn't get a hold of her and the panic started to set in for Melanie's parents. It is now Wednesday and they still cannot get a hold of their daughter. And her parents are becoming increasingly worried about what could possibly be going on because this was just not like Melanie. She would not let her parents panic and she would answer the phone. You know, she's not, she's not gonna do this. Her parents know that this is completely out of character for her. So Kathleen and Thomas decide that Thomas would drive up to Emma's house to check on their daughter to like see if she's okay and also to bring her home. So Thomas makes the 200 mile trip to Emma's house to get his daughter. He gets there, he knocks on the door, but no one answers. He tries looking through the windows. He's like looking around to see if there's any movement in the house. He's phoning Melanie as well repeatedly, but of course she doesn't answer. So Thomas trying probably not to panic. He's trying to reassure himself. He's trying to say to himself, like they're probably just out. They're teenagers. They're having a good time. Like, don't worry, like everything's gonna be okay. And he decides to go back to his car and just sit and wait in his car because he knows his daughter's gonna arrive home at some point and he's just gonna wait for her. But the hours pass by and seven hours pass and Melanie has still not shown up. And Thomas is freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And Melanie is nowhere to be seen. And Thomas is forced to return home without his daughter. And I can't even imagine what that would have felt like for Thomas. He returned home to Kathleen and he had to tell her like, I don't have our daughter. Like, I don't know where she is. So the next day, which is Thursday, Kathleen starts phoning pretty much everyone and anyone that she can think of that may have some information. And she is also phoning Emma's house phone repeatedly because obviously she doesn't know what's happened. And she thinks, well, there's gotta be someone home at some point. And one time when she phoned, because she was phoning a lot throughout the day, someone answers the phone. And who is it? It's Richard. And of course, Richard is Melanie's friend as well. So Kathleen does know of Richard and she's like, oh my God, thank God someone has answered the phone. Like this person can tell me what is going on. But all Richard says to Kathleen is that her daughter is out. And that is it. And Kathleen is frantic on the phone. She's like, what do you mean they're out? Why aren't you with them? Why are you in the house on your own? It's not even your house. Like none of this makes sense. And I just don't know how Richard, because obviously he's murdered Melanie. I don't know how he could talk to Melanie's mom and just act like everything was okay. Like, oh, that's a sick person. And Kathleen starts to interrogate Richard. Like she wants to know where the hell her daughter is. And Richard, under the pressure of this, can't seem to keep his story straight. And after this phone call, Kathleen is like, you know what, I have had enough. And she phones the police. So Kathleen phones the police, explains the situation. It is still Thursday, by the way. All of this did happen on one day. And the police agree to go and perform a welfare check. So the police go over to Emma's house. They knock on the door. And who answers? 
it was Richard. And the police are like, oh, hi, is everything okay? And Richard just responds to the police like, yeah, everything's fine, nothing wrong here. And the police leave. I am sorry, but that has to go down with one of the worst welfare checks ever. I know they don't have a warrant to enter the house. They don't have probable cause and blah, blah, blah. But why didn't they ask Richard for ID? Like, why didn't they ask for the homeowners of the house? Like, why did they not ask more questions? So when the police go back to Kathleen and tell her all of this, understandably, she is furious. She was like, oh my God. She just couldn't believe that the police had basically done nothing. So the next thing that Kathleen does is she phones Emma's dad. So remember that Emma's parents are separated, so her parents don't live together. And I don't really know why Kathleen didn't contact Emma's dad earlier. Like maybe she didn't have his number. Like I don't know the situation there, but it's Thursday and she phones Emma's dad. And she explains to Mark what has happened and like what is going on and asks him like what is going on where's your daughter because I want to know where my daughter is and this is when Mark realizes oh I haven't actually heard from Emma in like two days either like that's strange what's going on and Emma's dad only lived about 15 minutes away from Emma's house so Mark agrees to go over to the house find out what's going on and then he was gonna phone Kathleen and tell her what was going on and reassure her that everything was okay. However, tragically, Kathleen would not hear back from Mark. So Mark arrived at Emma's house at 5 p.m. on Thursday, the 17th of September, 2009. He enters the home, of course, he has a key and he goes into the living room. But when he entered the living room, he was ambushed by Richard with his sledge ax and tragically, Mark was beaten to death by Richard. Another day passes, it's now Friday and Kathleen hasn't heard from her daughter, Melanie, since Monday now. And now Mark, Emma's dad, is not answering his calls. Like Kathleen is freaking out. So Kathleen is left with no other option but to phone the police again. And she is just absolutely done with them right now. She is demanding that they do something about this. And the police do agree and they give Kathleen what she wants and they go and check on the house again. And when the police arrive at the house, the door is open. So they just let themselves in and immediately they can smell the worst smell ever and it's the smell of dead bodies. So of course the police search the home and they come across the bodies of Melanie, Emma, Deborah and Mark, all of them dead in the house. However, Richard is nowhere to be found. And the police know that Richard obviously was in the house because they spoke to him and they also know that he was in the house because of Kathleen. So they're now thinking, okay, is he responsible for these murders? And they know that they need to find Richard ASAP. So the police declare a manhunt to try and find Richard. But where is Richard? Like, what has he done? So basically, as soon as he murdered Mark, 
he stole Mark's car keys and took off in Mark's car. But he didn't get very far because he crashed the car into a ditch. And then just something that I cannot believe happened, police arrive at the scene and they give Richard a ticket and then they just let him go on his merry way. And it's like, I know that uh, they don't know what he's just done. I realize that. But oh my God, what are the chances? It's like, surely they can figure out that this car does not belong to Richard. And surely Richard looks a little bit suspicious. Like, why didn't they question him a little bit more? So Richard has no car now and he hitchhikes with a tow truck driver. And the driver is like, where are you going? Where do you want to go? And Richard is like, the airport because basically Richard wants to flee back to California. But I think this tow truck driver regretted giving Richard a lift because mm, he smelt. Because the smell coming off Richard, oh my God, was, it, it was death. It, it literally was the smell of death. And it turns out that Richard was still wearing the exact same clothes when he committed all of those brutal murders. And as you can imagine, the murders that he committed were not exactly clean, if you know what I mean. So there was blood and stuff all over him um, and it was all dried and horrible. He also hadn't showered for three days, so he also had blood and guts all over him. So surely the police that arrived at the scene after he crashed the car would have been able to smell him. Like, seriously, is that not suspicious that this person smells like death? But the truck driver manages to get through this journey and he does drop Richard off at the airport. So Richard now at the airport, he is so close to almost escaping. But what Richard didn't know is that the police were onto his trail. So it turns out that for some reason, the police officer that had given Richard the ticket for crashing the car, Richard had told him that he was on his way to the airport. So when the manhunt was underway, the police officer that had given him the ticket was like, oh, I've just given this person a ticket. And he said he was on the way to the airport. So the police knew exactly where Richard was. And in the early hours of the morning, the police turn up at the airport and they find Richard in the waiting room just asleep on the chair. There's actually CCTV footage of this exact moment. And I've got to say, I've seen a few arrests in my time, okay? Not in person, like, you know, footage. And this has to be the calmest arrest I think I've ever seen. It's like this person has murdered four people and they didn't even put him in handcuffs and as Richard was walking away with the police officers I assume maybe they asked him like why he did it whatever and Richard just calmly said Jesus made me do it. So Richard was arrested and charged with four counts of capital murder and the police had so much evidence against him. Well, firstly, when they found him, he was covered in blood from all four victims. He was also the last known person to see all four people. They also had a ton of evidence from MySpace. They had all of the evidence of the relationship between Emma and Richard. 
They also had eyewitnesses from the festival that they went to who said that Richard took the rejection from Emma very badly. And then obviously they found out that Richard was in the house with the victims for three days. I just cannot wrap my head around that. I just, I can't. Why did he stay in the house? Why did he stay in the house with the bodies of his victims. Like, what was he doing? Like, I just, I don't know. We don't know what he was doing. So because of all of this, the prosecution were pushing for the death penalty. And let's just say the odds were not in Richard's favor. And Richard's defense lawyers were like, you need to take a deal. If you don't take a deal, you will get a death penalty. And that's exactly what Richard did. He took the deal and he pled guilty to all four counts of murder. So there was no trial. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He also waived his right to an appeal. So in this case, uh, thankfully, because I do think that Richard would be a danger if he was released, Richard will never be released. Richard said absolutely nothing during his sentencing and he also showed no remorse. All he did when he was in the courtroom was smirk. And my heart goes out to Kathleen and Thomas, Melanie's parents and anybody else that was affected by this horrific crime. Two innocent girls. I mean, they were so young. Emma was only 16. Melanie was only 18 were taken away far too soon and Emma's parents were taken as well. And it's just, oh, for no reason. I just really struggle to wrap my head around all of this, to be honest, because clearly Richard wanted to murder somebody. There is no doubt in my mind that he wanted to murder somebody. You only have to listen to the lyrics of his songs to know that he wanted to murder somebody. And unfortunately, Emma rejecting him, was that the trigger? Was that what set all of this off? But then still, why murder Emma's mom? Why murder Melanie? I'm not saying it was okay to murder Emma. I'm just saying like, why murder other people? And then why sit in the house with your victims for three days? and then murder somebody else. It just, I can't wrap my head around this. Like I said, I am glad that he is not getting out of prison. He would be a danger to society if he was released. Unfortunately, in this case, I think that Richard was a ticking time bomb. I think that he would have murdered someone if he hadn't murdered Emma and her family and Melanie. I think he would have gone on to murder other people. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.